0: Welcome to In Conversation with, a Hollywood Reporter podcast produced in partnership with Apple TV Plus. In each episode, we sit down with the creators and stars of some of TV's most compelling shows to hear more about what went into bringing these stories to life. I'm Rebecca Ford, awards editor at the Hollywood Reporter, and for this episode, I'd love to welcome J.K. Simmons, who stars in the drama *Defending Jacob*. Known for his work on both TV, from *Law and Order* to *Oz* and *The Closer* and film, from the Spider-Man franchise to his Oscar-winning turn in Whiplash, I think it's safe to say anytime J.K. Simmons turns up in a project, you're in for a memorable performance, and Defending Jacob is no different. J.K., thank you so much for chatting with us about Defending Jacob. I thought your role was so memorable in this, so I'm excited to hear a little bit about it. Um, maybe for people who haven't seen the show, you could just tell them a little bit about who you play, and and the general gist of the story?
1: Well, I play Billy Barber, who some people insist on calling Bloody Billy Barber, uh, for reasons that uh, people will see if they watch the show. Chris Evans' character is my son. Jaden Martell's character is my grandson. And uh, one of the things that my character brings to the whole uh, intrigue of the story is Is there such a thing as a murder gene? Is there some genetic thing that I have passed down to my grandson that might make us more or less inclined to think he's guilty of this terrible crime?
0: Perfect. And tell me about how this project first came to you. Was it a script that landed on your desk or how did you first sort of get involved?
1: It was a script that landed metaphorically on my desk, (laughs) uh, my inbox. And uh, yeah, I, I was immediately intrigued by the idea of it. And then I saw Morton Tilden was attached to direct, and he and I had worked together a couple of years before uh, on Counterpart. And uh, Chris Evans uh, playing Andy Barber was another big part of the draw. And then once I cracked it open and really started reading Mark Bombach's adaptation of the novel, I, I, I thought it was really, really compelling, and, uh, and I was ready to sign up.
0: So when you are approaching a project like this, you know, obviously this story is based on a book. Do you focus mostly on the script or do you actually visit a book when it's a project like this? It's an adaptation.
1: That's an interesting question. And I've honestly gone back and forth on that, uh, depending on a variety of factors. Uh, In this case, I never did read the original novel because it seemed as I learned uh, what, uh, departures or differences there were in Mark's adaptation. I I think sometimes having a really thorough knowledge of the source material, especially in a smaller supporting part like this, it can kind of get in my way of dealing with, you know, the reality of of the eight-hour project that that we're shooting and and my character's impact on it. So in this case, I only read the adaptation Mark Bombeck's script. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, this character, he's in prison for this apparently terrible murder, but how do you as an actor come to understand him? Because obviously you can't see him as that black and white is just pure evil or anything.
1: Well, and that's another good thing about this script and and, the thing that I look for in scripts in general is when you're playing especially such a, a character who's done such terrible things, you know, it's easy for a... A writer to be lazy, an audience, an actor to be lazy, and just go. Oh, he's evil. He's terrible. He's the bad guy, uh, which he is. But Mark is uh, uh, smart enough and kind enough to offer us little glimpses here and there into this guy's humanity. And uh, you know whether or not uh, you can empathize or sympathize with him, uh, you at least have a, a, a glimpse into his psychology and, and his damage and. Uh, his uh, humanity.
0: And so when preparing for a role like this, how do you figure that out?
1: Well, that's really it. I mean, that, that's the biggest part of it to me is, is finding uh, something that I can identify with, you know, and and ultimately the, the best way in for me, whether it's, you know, a good guy or a bad guy, uh, is what is it that that he loves? What is wh- what aspect of love can motivate this guy and and love you know is a beautiful thing but there are twisted uh variations of it too like uh, mm-hmm. in this case but uh but that to me is always the first thing that I look for as a as a way into just kind of psychologically wrap my brain around uh any character I'm going to play
0: I think you know a lot of your memorable characters have been bad guys or you know, scary guys or very intense guys. But I'm curious, do you find that you are getting more of those roles because you are known for being so successful at them? Or do you find that you get all sorts of scripts uh, at this point in your career?
1: Well, that's the beauty of uh, being at this point in my career is I I am getting enough of a range of different kinds of offers coming my way. Uh, I mean, it was a very gradual a road to uh, getting to the point where I was getting any offers at all and uh, not mm-hmm. standing in line with a thousand other guys to audition for something as I, as I was in the early days. So mm-hmm. the fact that I've got enough of a, of a background now in, in playing good guys, bad guys, comedy, drama, uh, I, I have been able to, uh, you know, to keep myself interested and hopefully keep audiences interested in uh, watching this stuff that I'm involved in and, and not just being uh, too predictable.
0: No, I I definitely think you're, when you look back at your career, you've done such a wide variety of types of films and types of characters and and everything like that. But when it comes specifically to this project, what was sort of, I know, as you mentioned, this murder gene is sort of a big part of the story. Like, can that be passed down, you know, among a family? Um, What was sort of your take on that? Did you read up on it? I found that a really fascinating part of the story.
1: Yeah, you know what? That, that, I'm just sounding totally lazy now because no, I didn't. I didn't read specifically on, on that background <laughs> either because because again, there's you know that uh, that debate is something that you know certainly occurs to uh, uh, all all three generations of barber men in this story. You know, Jaden's character and Chris's character and mine as well. But uh, I think the fear of that reality again for all three of those characters, the fear of that possibility being the reality was was enough to inform what was going on so and again there's there's no it's not like there's definitive science uh right. coming down on one side or another of it so the open debate uh was was what again what i found uh, compelling about it or part of what i found interesting mm-hmm.
0: and most of your scenes are uh with chris evans obviously when the son goes to see the father in prison um tell me about working with him did you guys have time to rehearse, or was it just kind of a step into it and shoot kind of situation?
1: Yeah, it was kind of a step in and shoot. I mean, uh, uh, there was, of course, there's always a, a little bit of rehearsal, you know, uh, on set, uh, but mostly it was, you know, I kind of hit the ground running on on, uh, on the stages there in Boston. Everything I shot was on the same sound soundstage, uh, and mm-hmm. we were able to do all of our scenes basically in chronological order, which was a real unusual blessing. So that, you know, we could see the relationship develop as it develops. But, uh, uh, I mean, just working with Chris was great. You know, he's he's very open. I had seen him, obviously, in Captain America and those things. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife and kids and I had seen him in a play on Broadway a couple of years ago, which was the only other time I'd met him in person uh, backstage after the show. And he was really good in that uh, Lobby Hero, this uh, Ken Lonigan play. And uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I knew I was uh, I knew I was going to be working with a guy that I that I had respect for as an actor, which uh, obviously is, you know, the way you want to approach something. And then, uh, you know, he's also an executive producer on this. So I was like, I hope he can just take off that hat and put on the actor hat for our stuff together, which he totally did. And, uh, you know, we did our thing and, and, you know, just got an opportunity to sit around and talk about sports and, you know, just hang out together, too, which was fun.
0: And as you mentioned, you were working with Morton again after Counterpart. What is it about his directing style that you enjoy?
1: Well, Morton's a, a real visionary, I think is uh, can be an overused word in our business. But uh, mm-hmm. but his, his visual sense is, uh, uh, you know, so far over my head that uh, it's something that I appreciate about what he brings to the table, too. And then, you know, also, especially in this case, I mean, Usually an eight episode, you know, eight different hours, uh, you're going to have, you know, at least three or four different directors on it. So to know that Morton was the director for essentially an eight hour movie was was a great thing to know in terms of just continuity and knowing that, uh, you know, this is the guy that uh, uh, that has his his hands on all aspects of this and and a really thorough understanding of where everybody's coming from. And then, you know, as with all the directors that I uh, that I've really enjoyed working with the most, you know, he's also really collaborative and and, uh, ready to listen to, uh, uh, you know, my point of view on something and Chris's point of view, obviously. And it it becomes a, a real team effort.
0: So when it comes to the directors you've enjoyed the most, you know, you mentioned collaboration, but what else do you find is sort of makes it a strong match for you when you're on set?
1: Well, a few things. First of all, just, you know, somebody who's really smart and competent and and thorough and and that to me is ideally is a combination of being really impeccably prepared and knowing exactly what they want to get overall and and on a given day in a given scene, but at the same time not letting their preparation get in the way of being open to spontaneity or whether it's, you know, Literally improvisation or or just, you know, a, a slightly different take or perspective on something. And that's something that I've enjoyed uh, in all my collaborations with uh, with my favorite directors, whether it's uh, Morton or you know, the Cohn Brothers, Sam Raimi or my wife, Michelle Schumacher, who I've actually worked with a few times, uh, Jason Reitman, uh, Damien Chazelle. You know, there's a long list of uh, of directors that I've enjoyed that kind of relationship with.
0: Well, I have to ask about working with your wife. What do you? Is it different when you two disagree versus a you know Damon Chazelle or or Cohen Brothers <laughs> collaboration?
1: Well, we 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 try to keep those disagreements uh, uh, offset so that you know yeah. so we're prepared going in uh, you know so that we can uh, we can disagree you know lying in bed the night before about uh, what we're going <laughs> to do the next day and uh, and then uh, you know kiss and say good night at the end of it and you know. She's the writer, she's the director, and she's going to be the editor. So in that case, you know, as in most cases with most directors, you know, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to offer my input and then I'm going to shut up and do my job.
0: Yeah, she's the boss there, I assume. <laughs> so, tell, I, you know, I ask, I ask actors this often, but I am curious what you do if it, if it isn't working with a director, if you just aren't matching up or sort of agreeing on the same level.
1: Well, there's, I mean, there's a variety of, of ways that that goes, too. I mean, hopefully, ultimately, you can get back to the page, the script, and, and, and find, you know, if not complete agreement with what the director is saying he wants from you, you know, at, at least a shade of gray that you can go in the direction that he or she, obviously, is uh, is wanting or insisting on or, you know, and and honestly, I think, I mean, I, I prefer those kinds of interactions with a director, you know, where you're really butting heads over something sometimes. I prefer that to now this, this kind of deference that I occasionally get from a director because of my age and how long I've been doing this and that I mm-hmm. won a bunch of trophies in the past. You know, I think sometimes uh, people just throw up their hands and, and think, you know, a guy who's established and been around this long is... I'm not going to really be able to direct him. So if I don't really agree, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, let him steamroll me. And I, I, I never want to be that guy. I don't want to be mm-hmm. the steamroller. I don't want to be, you know, the pavement either. So, uh, I mean, fortunately, those kinds of situations have been very rare in my experience. And there's there's always at least some gray area in the middle that I feel like I'm able to uh, arrive at with the, the director. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, with this role, obviously, it brings you back into a a prison. And I assume people can't help but bring up Oz because that was such a memorable role for you. How do you feel about that comparison or that that sort of legacy of that role following you?
1: Well, uh, listen, the legacy of that role following me, I mean, that whole show uh, created by Tom Fontana uh, was was such a, a groundbreaking and, and brilliant piece of work that uh, all those of us who really got got big breaks from that show are, uh, you know, mm-hmm. eternally grateful for it. Having said that, I, I even went into that job expressing to Tom my fear that, you know, if this show has the impact that we think it might, I'm going to be stuck playing, you know. The psycho white Nazi, you know, murdering bastard for the rest of my career, and I and I don't want to do that. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, he allayed my fears, and and I, enough fortunate breaks have come along. In the meantime, playing very different characters, that uh, it wasn't a concern of mine at all to be to be going back, uh, you know, twenty years later, almost to be uh, to be playing another uh, incarcerated horrible human being, because in both cases there were glimpses enough of occasional glimpses of, of uh, humanity that it, uh, that it made it uh, a compelling and uh, complex character to play.
0: So when, when Oz was ending and you were figuring out your next gig, did you find that you were getting a lot of roles that were a little too similar to that? Or was there more opportunities?
1: Uh, When Oz first started airing, it was like every phone call my agent got was to play the Nazi of the week on some, you know, and, uh, and, you know, we were, uh, first of all, uh, blessed to be in a position to uh, be able to turn those down, you know, financially, because Law & Order started at about that same time. So I was playing Mm -hmm. the psycho on one show and the psychiatrist on another. So uh, it was, it made it easy for me to, uh, to do what I knew was the right thing and, and not get stuck playing different versions of that same character for the rest of my life because, yep. you know, um, <laughs> All right. and then, yeah, so enough opportunities came along during that six year run on Oz, which was like a summer stock job. Cause we worked, you know, three months a year, maybe four, that after Oz ended, there were enough opportunities out there to, to do different kinds of things that uh, I was able to just kind of take that momentum and go with it.
0: And what do you consider, sort of your most pivotal or memorable roles, you know, I'm sure fans have their opinions, but for you, which are the ones that stick with you?
1: Well, a a lot of them, honestly, are things that people never heard of, you know, things that when Mm -hmm. I started out doing theater, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. playing the lead in Brigadoon at the Big Fork Summer Playhouse when I was in college, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) uh, joining the cast of A Few Good Men on Broadway, uh, you know, a few years before it was made into a film, playing Parola's in all's well that ends well, Uh, but Mm -hmm. then uh, having to break in the Neil Simon play which was really what led to me transitioning from theater to film and TV and then, uh, you know, obviously I owe a great debt to uh, Sam Raimi, to Jason Reitman, to the Mm -hmm. Coen brothers for uh, for early breaks in my career and, and great experiences and you know, most recently or fairly recently, uh, Damien Chazelle and I connecting and, uh, and the opportunity to make Whiplash with him and Miles Teller was, uh, you know, will always be a, a real high point in my career.
0: That was my first ever movie I saw at Sundance was Whiplash. And it was oh, just wow. such an incredible, I was like, this is what a premiere at Sundance is like. It was yeah, right. Yeah, incredible. they're all like that. Yeah, <laughs> I will always remember watching that for the first time. But when it comes to television, obviously, you've been, you know, you talk about Law and Order and Oz, you've been doing this format for a long time, and it's changed so much over the years. What do you sort of see as the the strengths of the model as it is now and, and the challenges?
1: Well, the model as it is now with the Apple TV+, Plus, mm-hmm. you know, streaming, uh, all these, its it's been developing from my perspective for several years now as uh, uh, with Counterpart a few years ago for me and and other things that I've uh, guessed it in off and on to me it's a, it's the ideal hybrid between feature filmmaking and the old model of uh, uh, you know four networks doing uh, uh, studio television in 22 24 episodes a year you have in most of these places certainly with apple tv plus you have a significant budget to work with and you and you have you know you're surrounded by great people great script great actors director um, but you have the luxury of time, in this case, eight hours in a limited series, to delve more deeply into these uh, characters and, and tell a, either just a longer story or a more detailed story, which, uh, which is what I've really enjoyed, both as an audience and as an actor.
0: Any particular challenges, you think, with the way the amount of television and streaming content there is now or anything that you see as particularly difficult?
1: Uh, Well, really, it's just making choices is is what's difficult, you know, because there is so much content out there now. And, uh, uh, you know, right now with most of us shut into our homes, that's uh, one of the silver linings is uh, uh, being able to sift through and and find uh, some really compelling content like Apple TV Plus and Defending Mm -hmm. Jacob um, (laughs) that, you know, can uh, help you. While away, eight hours, whether it's, you know, whether you're looking for a comedy or a drama or something, you know, at my house, uh, my wife and kids and I are sort of going back and forth between finding something, you know, really compelling and gripping like uh, like Defending Jacob. And then, you know, after a couple of episodes of that, maybe take a break and watch a little comedy and then dive back into the, uh, the story.
0: Yeah. And so Defending Jacob premiered on Apple TV Plus on April 24th, and we were already sort of in this new um pandemic world at that point how was that was that experience different for you obviously doing interviews and press is a little bit different than it than it would be traditionally but how did that experience change for you
1: well uh in in most ways you know very similar to the way it changed for everyone else you know we're uh, we're here we're home we're trying to stay healthy and safe and keep others healthy and safe uh doing our part and uh and you know fortunately unlike so many people out there, we're not devastated financially by the, the pandemic. So uh, we're just enjoying the silver lining of, uh, of being together. And part of that has been, you know, spending virtually every evening, you know, on the, on the little couch at the foot of the bed in mom and dad's room uh, watching. Uh, first of all, when Defending Jacob uh, premiered, we actually we waited an extra week and we watched the first four episodes in one evening. And uh, and then since then, we've been, you know, waiting every Friday for the the next episode to come out. I'm not giving any spoilers, even to my wife and kids. So (laughs) we're all going to see what happens on Friday.
0: (laughs) And what is your experience like watching your own work? Has it changed over time?
1: Yeah, it it definitely has changed. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't mean to grimace there, but, uh, um, you know, at at first, after 20 years as a theater actor, it was just my level of self-consciousness was, uh, you know, almost debilitating. But, uh, you know, the opportunity to actually be able to analyze and critique your own work, which you don't have as a stage actor, uh, you know, was really valuable, too. One of the first things I did was a guest spot on Homicide, Life on the Street, the, a Tom Fontana show, which is what ultimately led to me uh, being a part of Oz. And uh, and I learned a lot from that, working with Andre Brower and Kyle Secor mm-hmm. and having the opportunity to analyze your own work, I found to be a really valuable tool. At this point, you know, having become officially a senior citizen this year, uh, you know, it's it's hard not to just, you know, watch and go, oh, my God, who is the wrinkled up old guy? You know, um <laughs> that uh, because you still, you know, we all still have this mental image of ourselves as uh, uh, the younger version of ourselves, the, the uh, athletic young man in his prime, you know, Uh, at least in my case, I was bald when I was in my 20s. So I I don't have to worry about that.
0: (laughs) You know, and I'm curious what what's still on your to do list? What do you want to what kind of roles do you I mean, you've done so many different types of work, but what do you still want to do? Is it more theater at this point or what, what, what are your goals once we go back to work?
1: Yeah. More theater uh, is a a really intriguing idea to me. And, and I don't know uh, how quickly, you know, big theater is going to, live theater is going to get back on its feet, but that's something I've been thinking about for the last year or two. And uh, we're with, uh, we're bi-coastal again now with a place in New York and LA. So I'm hoping that I'll have an opportunity in some really interesting, compelling role that somebody wants me to play on stage again. But really just uh, uh, anything where I don't feel too much like I'm repeating myself is what I'm looking forward to.
0: Mm -hmm. Were you about to go into a project or what were you sort of lining up before this uh, everything changed?
1: We were uh, about a third of the way through uh, shooting the, the fourth season of Goliath. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and, uh, with Billy Bob Thornton and I was the, the, you know, had that fourth season arc as his sort of nemesis. So, you know, whenever, uh, things align for, for people to go back to work in, uh, film and TV in Los Angeles and surrounding areas, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully find a, you know, a, a safe way to get back to work and get that finished.
0: And um, we have uh, three questions to sort of wrap it up because we're almost out of time. But I did want to ask you about some recent news about Zack Snyder releasing this new cut of Justice League, because I know you were part of that film. What are your thoughts on sort of a new version coming out? Zack's version, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm always in favor of uh, you know a director's vision, you know, especially you know a filmmaker who's who's uh, been so iconic in, in that genre in general. Um, there were obviously a, a variety of reasons for, um, for the way things shook out, uh, the first time around with that film. And I know there was a lot of, uh, fan noise wanting to see, uh, mm-hmm. Zach's version of it, Zach's vision. And, uh, um, the, whatever your feelings were about the version that was that was at first released i think you know even if even if you absolutely loved everything about that film there's there's i would certainly be interested as an audience to see zach's vision and uh the one thing i do know for sure is that it'll be long <laughs> <laughs> because, because he's uh, you know he's got a lot of stuff that he that he wants to get in there and uh i had a couple of really great conversations with him uh pretty recently actually as uh As he was talking about uh, um, finishing up his his cut and uh, and excited about uh, getting it out to an audience.
0: You've just been holding this big secret until it was announced. (laughs) Good job.
1: No spoilers (laughs) for me ever.
0: (laughs) All right. So, as I mentioned, a couple lightning round questions and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, So if you had to quarantine with one of your co-stars or crew from Defending Jacob, who would you want to be in your house with you?
1: Hmm. Co-stars or a crew? For I mean, honestly, because virtually everything I did, uh, virtually was uh, was with uh, Chris Evans. Uh, I guess I guess it'd have to be Chris. We'd just uh, go up into my little uh, workout room in the attic, and uh, you know, take advantage of the time to get to, you know he can he can stay in his Captain America shape, and uh, <laughs> I can try and fight Father Time, and we'd hang out and watch some uh, you know classic tigers versus red Sox games
0: there you go everyone saw those pictures of how fit you keep so i'm sure you could keep up with chris <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, well it's all relative a <laughs> uh, yeah, couple couple two and a half decades on him so <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right um and if you could recommend a podcast or a film or something for audiences to watch during this time that you um, either have caught up on or found enjoyable while at home
1: Aside from the obvious, which would be defending oh, Jacob, defending
0: Jacob on yes <laughs>
1: Apple TV plus uh, uh, that would be uh, uh, that would be uh, number one on my list, mm-hmm. as it should be on mm-hmm. everyone's, but we, you know we've really enjoyed bouncing back and forth between some of the new content that's on Apple TV plus and streaming services, and even going back to some classic you know we recently watched the Office all over again, and uh, yeah, uh, fun. a little nostalgia and a little uh, a little humor is a nice thing to inject mm-hmm. Perfect.
0: And you've kind of mentioned this already, but what would you say is one way your life has improved uh, during the stay-at-home time?
1: Well, the big, big silver lining for us, as I, I think it is for a lot of people, uh, regardless of your circumstances, is the, just the family time together. Uh, we're fortunate to, to be healthy and safe and together. And and I've really enjoyed, I don't want to say reconnecting, because it's not like we we weren't connected, but uh, just yeah the opportunity to, uh, have relaxed time together with my wife. And I think we've, we've had, uh, more, uh, you know, conversations and relaxed time together in the last couple of months than we've had, uh, maybe in the last couple of years before that. So that's a, that's been a gigantic silver lining. And I know we all are, you know, want this to end and, and want to be healthy and want our friends and loved ones and neighbors to be healthy as well. And, We'll welcome the opportunity to get back to whatever the new normal is. But uh, in the meantime, togetherness is what it's all about.
0: Perfect. Well, JK, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the show. Thank you. Defending Jacob is streaming now on Apple TV Plus. Tune in next week for another new episode featuring talent from an Apple TV Plus series. And be sure to check out our previous episodes, which are available now.